with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. It's nine minutes after eight, and uh, thank you so much for staying with us, and welcome if you've just joined the, is the forum at eight on uh, AM Live. Now, last week, we spoke to Dr. Nick Spall about a study that actually um, concluded, amongst other things, that... 50% of grade 4 learners in South Africa do not understand why what they read, whilst almost 30% are illiterate. And uh, the title of that report was Laying Firm Foundations, Getting Reading Right. And the research investigated the causes of weak student performance in literacy and numeracy in the foundation phase. And the study also focused on overcrowded classrooms, the Eastern Cape and Limpopo coming up as the two provinces that have uh, more than 60 learners in a classroom between grades one and four. And there was a huge interest and uptake um, from our listeners who asked us if we could speak a little more about what is going on here. And uh, that's why we're doing this this morning. And our guests are uh, Dr. Martin Gustafsson, researcher at the Department of Basic Education. Thanks for speaking to us. Hello, Sakina. Thank you. Thank you and good morning to the listeners. And we also have with us uh, Professor Lara Rackpert, who is a researcher in uh, the Saatchi Chair on Education at the University of Johannesburg Soweto campus. Thanks for coming through. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So just looking at those numbers, you know, every year there's a big brouhaha around matric and matric results and uh, what those stats say. But if children already in the foundation phase and uh, at the beginning of the intermediate phase, cannot read and write, cannot understand what they are reading, then surely it's a lost cause at matric level, uh, uh, Professor. Yes, um, what we found is that before the government was very focused on matric level to get the matric results up, um, what we found now, of course, is what we know from research, and it's just logic, that you can't work at the top. You have to go all the way down to the basic foundational skills that have to be in place. Otherwise, you're basically building on a vacuum. So trying to catch up lessons, extra work, extra classes later on in the high school is of no use if the actual foundations aren't laid. And if you think of the first three years or basically four years of schooling now, including grade R, which, of course, still we know that many children do not attend grade R. So let's talk about grade one, two, three. Um, is the time of the child's life when the basic skills need to be developed. Basic skills of reading, basic skills of numeracy, basic skills of writing. So once these skills are in place, you continue from grade four on with content knowledge. Um, and the difficulty is that many children not don't attain the basic levels of skills competency in grade one, two, and three. So when they go on to grade four, they are still struggling with the skills and they can't build on their knowledge because the skills are not in place yet. And there are various reasons why this is so. But let's just touch on those reasons. Well, what we found, um, my main interest of research is in early numeracy um, and learning difficulties, particularly as an edu- because I come from an educational mm. psychology background and a cognitive psychology background. And what um, we found is that many children, because of home circumstances, but this is not the only reason, enter school with a backlog. So basic ideas around guessing quantities, guessing um, numbers and magnitudes, um, what I'm talking about is bigger, smaller, um, many, few, etc. Um, 
they do not have a basic understanding of that. What we do, what we see in our newest um, research, we've just assessed uh, 480 children on early numeracy skills, and part of that was a listening comprehension test. So I'll come to the language mm-hmm. part as well. Um, is that these children don't have basic number concept of the number zero to 10. So in other words, if you would show them uh, four dots, they can't tell you that it's four dots. And this is grade one children that we are working with. They can't show you that, uh, tell you that this is four. And they also don't know um, to relate that to the actual number symbol. Um, in other words, the symbol four as we write it down. Yet the teachers are now in grade one working on subtraction and addition and all kinds of skills in the classroom that the operational skills that the children have to use, yet they don't have the basic number concept. So basically these children are just reiterating what the teacher is saying or working on little recipes, but the basic concept of the meaning behind what they're working with is not in place yet. And that's very disturbing because if you say that a grade one learner is incapable of doing basic one-to-one correspondence, that is, it, it just spells disaster. With the one-to-one correspondence, um, they have a certain level of skill if they work with manipulatives. In other words, with bottle caps or something that they can actually do the one-to-one correspondence with. Um, I think it's basically when it goes to the cardinality of the number Mm. and as well as the ordinality. You know, that's basic level two Mm. just after one-to-one correspondence. If If you have a child and you say, okay, I have two and I have five, which one is bigger or which one is smaller or which one comes before the other one, they can't tell you they say two is bigger than five or two comes after five you know and this is basic concepts that we're working with in the intervention in the actual program that we're working the research that we're doing at the moment apart from that what is very important to understand is that um, we are working in English medium schools at the moment or language of uh, learning and and, um, instruction and many of these children do not come from an English um, home language background but Saying that, we have to also think that these kids are sitting in an English class and they're learning in English. So it doesn't help to say that maybe I'm Susutu or Isizula speaking at home. I am sitting in an English classroom and I have to understand the English medium of instruction. So to test that, we've also assessed them on a basic listening um, um, comprehension just to see what is the level of basic understanding of um, and command of the English language. And we find that there's definitely a correspondence between the low levels of literacy understanding and, of course, the language. So um, I think that mm. that is also a main difficulty. But what we're more concerned about, apart from that, we understand that. If you can't understand the language, you do not know what the teacher mm. is explaining in front of the class. She might as well be saying blah, 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 because you don't get it. But what we're more concerned about is that the pre-numeracy skills, the basic number concept formation is not in place when these kids come into the school. So, Dr. Gustafsson, if we can just look then at the teachers in this whole process, because, again, the learners, they obviously have um, some of the reasons, as uh, Professor Rackpot has pointed out, some of the things that they struggle with. But with the teachers, I mean, starting with, Content knowledge. I mean, how are they contributing to this problem that we are faced with? Um, well, uh, Sakina, of course, we sit with 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 uh, you know a legacy of 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 weak teacher training over the decades. 
Um, and uh, and th- that that is largely why we see these problems in schools. But it's it's useful to think of the the the, the teacher side of the of the challenge in terms of number one the teacher's own capacity to to read, do mathematics, and 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 teach these skills, and number two the motivation or the incentives and the accountability, you know, what, what, what happens if you don't do your job? Um, and, they, and I think what's useful about uh, the uh, reports that came out of uh, the University of Stellenbosch, uh, which in, incidentally are, are reports which were commissioned by, by government, um, is that they, they, they do look holistically at, at both of these sides. Um, when it comes to the capacity of teachers, clearly um, the capacity is low, and we've, we've seen that in, in international tests. Uh, the capabilities of grade six mathematics teachers are, are, are below, clearly below what uh, they should be. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I think that's it, it's not an absolute ceiling. I mean, what's also very, very interesting is that. Um, if you compare teachers with similar levels of capability across different countries in Southern and East Africa, you find that actually in other countries they get their children, their learners, to reach better levels of, of, of performance than in South Africa. So in that sense, we've not reached the ceiling. Yes, the capacity of teachers is, is, is in many instances weak, but we could do better even with the capacity that we, we do have and that then takes one to the side of, of you know, h- how do you motivate teachers? Um, how do you ensure that, that there are consequences if you are not doing your, your, your work properly or that you are rewarded if you, if you are a good teacher? Mm. And, and, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that you're absolutely spot on, by the way, but... Why is it taking so long? Because this is by no means a new issue. Um, I remember, I think it was the early to mid-2000s when our first participation in the TIMS, um, that, I think it was that sort of time when we uh, participated mm. in TIMS study, and we came last. The HSRC, they actually then um, went and analyzed that data, Sarah Garn it was, and they found, and I remember at the time that uh, headline screaming, I can still see it, South African teachers damaged learners. And that was because the children had performed better on concepts that were not taught in class than the ones they had never seen. They actually did better on the concepts they'd never seen. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in some ways, uh, things haven't changed fast enough. Uh, in some ways, things have changed. I mean, the fact that there are far more people talking about um, uh, learning at, at the early grades now, the, the fact that we don't have this very narrow focus on just matric, which was quite predominant even 10 years ago, I think is a move in the right direction. There's a lot more focus now on what happens in the, in the early grades. So that's, a, that's been a good change. Um, but, but certain things have not changed as fast as we, we would like them to have changed. Um, I think that in particular the, 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 the interruption in the annual national assessment last year was, was not good, and, and the faster we redesign and, and get that on track, 
um, the better. But uh, yeah, I mean, but let's also keep in mind that the uh, the the, the uh, Performance statistics that are in those uh, uh, Stellenbosch reports are from 2011 or before then. And, um, I mean, we, we, we undoubtedly still have a very, very serious uh, reading and writing problem in, in, in the early grades now, but uh, it seems as if things have, have moved in the right direction, partly because a lot of interesting things have, have, have uh, come about since, uh, 2011, um, in particular, three things. I mean, the, the curriculum, the, the caps, the, these guide uh, guides that teachers have been given and trained in, have have given a lot more detail around what you do in the classroom. So that's one. Two, um, the workbooks that are distributed each year to to learners just have have, have really flooded schools with with far more text. Uh, and color and uh, interesting, stimulating materials than was the case previously. And then thirdly, the annual national assessments, I think, has helped a lot to put what learners learn onto the, the, the agenda and has helped, for instance, school principals to, to get a better handle on what's happening in the classroom because with standardized tests, you are, you know, it's, 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 it's more difficult to, to hide the fact that, that, you know, half the learners in the classroom can't read, for instance. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. And we are asking on the the forum at 8 this morning, what can we do in order to help South African children so that we can up their literacy and numeracy rates? And also, you know, um, we want to dissect this report further and understand what it means. And we'll do that with Dr. Gabrielle Wolds when we come back. Uh, She was one of the people who worked on this research. For the past one and a half months, Statistics South Africa has been conducting a survey called the Community Survey. I'm Padilo Hotla, Statistician General of South Africa. I wish to take this opportunity to thank households who opened their doors to the vast team of enumerators in South Africa who collected this data. In time, by the 20th of June, we'll be releasing the results of this survey, which will be very useful for municipalities in their planning and evaluation of their programs. Thank you. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. 23 minutes after 8. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're talking education this morning, and, and I must say it is very encouraging uh, to see so many of our listeners actually very interested in this because it shows that we are you know, invested as a nation in getting education right in this country. The forum is dissecting the report that uh, we started out last week, that interview we had uh, with Dr. Nick Spall uh, about um, their study uh, titled uh, Laying Firm Foundations and Getting Reading Right. Uh, That particular um, report revealed that over 50% of grade four learners in South Africa do not understand what they read and almost 30% are illiterate. So this is the situation we're talking about this morning. And if you have any ideas, you know, call us, tell us, how do we fix this situation? How do we help our children to read and write? 0891-104-208 is the calling number. You can tweet or Facebook AM Live on SAFM. Please use the hashtag AM Live. And you can also SMS us on the number 34701. Um, let's speak now to Dr. Gabrielle Wills, who is economist and researcher on socioeconomic policies, uh, who also worked on the report by Stellenbosch University. Uh, Dr. Wills, thanks so much for your time this morning. 
Okay, thank you for having me. Dr. Walls, now, um, I'm sure you've been listening to the conversation thus far, a much more general discussion about some of the problems that we do have in uh, this particular sphere. But uh, just bringing it back to the report, um, what did you find um, were some of the binding constraints uh, that were also serving as obstacles to achieving what we want to see? Thanks, Lakina. Um, as a, uh, a joint project or parallel project with the, the, the report for Xenix on laying firm foundations, we took a, a wider view of some of the constraints to education um, in South Africa for, uh, for the, a project that is called um, the Program for Pro-Poor Policy um, Development. And this really is a collaboration between the European Union and South African, and South African Presidency. And really, as a, the point of departure of this work um, was to really look at um, what is it that we need to, to tackle first in the system. It's the case that not all constraints in education necessarily bind equally. And as a result, we need to prioritize. So basically, we need to sort out certain factors first that are really constraining improvement before we can resolve other issues. And we identified really four major constraints um, to educational improvement and particularly to addressing this concern about low levels of, of literacy and numeracy in the foundation phase. And the first comes down to institutional, weak institutional functionality. Um, Dr. Martin Gustafsson, who is part of the panel here today, has done some very interesting work with um, Stephen Taylor, also from the Department of, of, of Education. And really they they provide very convincing evidence on how important provincial level administration is, Um, not just to kind of overall functioning, but but to actually what children learn. Um, The the strength of the administrative system is incredibly important for creating the right um, environment in which learning can take place in schools. Um, The second binding constraint that we addressed and considered was undue union influence, and this is certainly not a a new issue. Um, Obviously, it's come out um, in quite considerable measure with the findings of the Volmink report, but there really is a concern that um, there is an an undue influence of trade union influence on the ability of the system to operate independently and specifically to be able to implement accountability measures. Um, this is obviously a concern that needs to be addressed. And if, then, uh, yes. No, please continue. And then a third issue is weak teacher content knowledge, which you've already addressed. And then, and then, and then the other major concern is around wasted learning time. Children are just not getting through the curriculum enough, um, and there's just really not enough time on task. And if a child is not actually engaging with material, they are not going to be learning. And and, and just on this issue about. Um, uh, the content knowledge again, you know, when we talk, you were talking, um, Dr. Rajput, about, you know, basic mathematics. And if a teacher <clears throat> cannot tell you what the underlying principles of addition is, what do you think is going to happen? Because how is the teacher going to help this child? when they are struggling. Because as the teacher, I'm sitting and I'm thinking, you need to be able to identify whether the child is augmenting or aggregating mm. and, 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 and help them, you know, uh, find ways around these things. So you need your teacher to, at the very 
least, you know, have great content in order to move things forward. And then you have teachers saying to you, but, you know, I went to school and we were taught um, agriculture and uh, home economics. And now you're telling me I must teach these children 2D and 3D and and you don't even know what to do with it. Mm. These are the, the, the realities of what teachers and the learners have to go through on a daily basis. Mm. So I'm not sure whether the interventions that we are seeing at the moment are having the desired impact. But what's your view on that? Um, Maybe I'm a little bit biased in my view because I come from a learning difficulty background um, and more psychological maybe. But um, what I found with the training is that a lot of the department is putting a lot of training in place. I mean, the workbooks that were mentioned before, I think they are good. There's been the assessment of the grade three workbooks, certainly that mm. do work, etc. And even suggestions for textbooks and workbooks um, working together, etc. So I think they, they are trying to put things in place to actually raise the level of not maybe content knowledge, but help and support for teachers in, in terms of um, teaching specific skills. Um, what I find, though, when working with teachers, and we were training over in, in different workshops over 800 teachers last year in the GDE, um, and what we found there is that teachers know the recipe often of teaching a specific skill or a specific concept or a specific idea, but when the, teach, when the learning is not happening, they don't know what to do. Mm. So in other words, I can teach you this specific way of addition or this specific way of subtraction. But when the child does not learn what I'm teaching him and he cannot grasp the concept, I don't know what to do then. And I think this is where teaching in the classroom often falls short because you kind of try and help the child, but then the curriculum is also extremely fast. So you need to go on on with something else tomorrow. So a lot of the children never actually grasp the concepts and there's not enough intervention strategies to help them. What's the point of that? And that's what I want to ask after the break Mm -hmm. to our other guests, because if the child didn't understand, why are you moving? And uh, we'll talk about that after the uh, the news break with Zikona Miso. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Thank you so much for uh, tuning into the forum at eight this morning. And we're discussing matters education. Um, last week, we started with a discussion looking at a report from uh, the Stellenbosch University that revealed that over 50% of grade four learners in South Africa do not understand what they read. And I guess even more disconcerting that 30% were totally illiterate. And our, our guest this morning, uh, Dr. Gabrielle Wolds, economist and researcher in socioeconomic policies uh, who worked on that uh, Stellenbosch report. We also have with us from the Department of Education, a uh, researcher there, uh, Dr. Martin Gustafsson, and uh, Professor Lara Rajput, who is a researcher in the um, uh, researcher in the Saatchi Chair on Education at the University of Johannesburg Soweto Campus. So just before the break, if we can just quickly touch on what you were saying again, Dr. Rajput? Um, I think I just want to come back to the whole idea of um, teachers knowing when a child grasps a concept and when not. And I think there we also have to go back to what happens in initial teacher training. Because my idea is that, and I think this is something that's reiterated across the world, I mean, the U.S. is looking very extensively at the teacher training programs and 
um, of course, we go and learn from Finland, which we know is the best education system in the world at the moment. And what we see is that a lot of focus is placed on the teacher's knowledge, not necessarily about the content of the subject, but about child development. And um, what we are trying to do, so let's um, just see immediately how we institutions are trying to address this. At the University of Johannesburg, a lot of the initial teacher training now focuses on the the student teacher learning about different aspects of child development. Because if I understand how a child develops and learns, I can identify when learning is not taking place. And then I learn different ways to address when, when the issue when learning is not taking place. So it's not just the content knowledge is going beyond that. And mm. I think the other thing is learning in practice, which of course now at UJ we have a school on the UJ um, Soweto campus called Funda Ojabule School. And it's the first teacher training school in the country where the, where the student teachers from their first year spend time in actual classes learning about the child in the class while I'm learning in theory in my courses at university certain content and and we've really seen that this has made a difference that in practice learning constantly the theory practice interface because what happens before as Smogorinsky and many other um, researchers refer to is that Teachers enter schools, um, establishments and schools after their training. And if they have not had, had enough practice mm. in terms of practical classroom application, they basically go and they just follow whatever is happening in that specific school. So nothing changes. And I think this gives us an idea why we've been looking at learning and what happens to learning and why our maths and our English and our literacy and um, rates are not increasing is because new teachers are very enthusiastic when they enter schools, but then they started fo start following the status quo because they don't really know what else to do. And I think that comes back to institutions training teachers in a different way. Uh, Doctor, um, uh, let me go to Doctor Martin Gustafson first. Doctor Gustafson. Okay, one of the lines is not with us there. Um, Dr. Wills, are you with us? No. Okay, then Can't maybe I can, get. I'll grab my chance to continue. Can I go on? <laughs> you may. But, but you know, it, it, it's, it's a very interesting approach uh, that you put forward. Those uh, in that school, who, who are these students teaching? Okay, so what happens is we actually, it's a very intricate system and a, a logistic logistics logistical nightmare but um, with lots of colleagues working hard on this but what we do is that the teachers in the school it's a GDE school in other Gauteng Department of Education school but it's a joint also a UJ school so it's not a private school and I have to make that very clear because we want the student teachers to have um, an example that's as close to the ground as they'd be teaching in in the future and what they do is observations in the classroom so they are actually mental teachers teaching normal classrooms with children mm -hmm. teaching but the teachers at the school are also trained as mentors and then the, the, they have various exercises that they need to do in the school. In the first year, year they just observe and from the second year they start teaching, teaching specific lessons that are prepared with the mentor teachers. So it's a very intricate system um, because of course you also don't want to interfere with the children's learning in the school. That's very important for us that we stay ethical in terms of that. But we found that um, with this extra uh, 
way in which the students actually learn in practice what they learn in theory and see in practice in terms of classroom observations what they learn in theory there has been an increase in the understanding of in their understanding of what I actually need to do if I go out there as a teacher as opposed to just going into a school and following whatever the teachers in the school are doing and what they've been doing for 20 years which obviously is not working. So uh, I understand the new innovation But do you think overall the system is basically failing teachers and by extension the children in terms of the training? Uh, That is very difficult to say because on the one hand, I know the department is really trying their best and spends millions, maybe billions on training. Um, Why is it not reaching the teachers the way it should be? or Mm. Why is it not really having an impact? I think... um, We have to look at the type of training that is happening and maybe look at different ways in which we can use the training time optimally. Because I think some of the training that is happening might not be optimal to the development of the teacher in the classroom. I think there more research needs to be um, done on the actual needs of the teacher in the classroom because mm. uh, you come in with an idea that teacher might need this in terms of content knowledge but the teachers often say if they only would teach us about X, Y and Z it would really help us in our classroom so I think we need to listen to the needs of teachers more and not decide from top down what we think they need. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight uh Babington you're in Mafinke, uh, in Mafiking. good morning. Good morning. How are you, Sakina? Well, thanks. And you? Uh, I'm okay. Listen, uh, it's, uh, um, I'm a teacher myself, and uh, I did the research in South Africa here about the system of education. It's so complicated. Now, the first thing is, first of all, teaching is an art. You cannot take someone who has got a PhD and expect them to teach they should know exactly how to approach a certain subject. So the first thing is that uh, the system itself in South Africa, it has failed both the teachers and the students. I'm doing voluntary right now, work at, I'm teaching one of the schools here in, in, in Mafeking, um, and uh, I, I realize that um, the teachers struggle. Um, I think one of the things that is uh, that I observed is that uh, Teachers, they use the vernacular language in teaching certain subjects. But at the end of the day, the exam is set in English. And therefore, how do you expect students to understand the the, the, the subject? Mm -hmm. The other thing... Yeah, the other thing is that, I mean, you, the, the, uh, I think at, at primary level, you are looking at grade R. They concentrate on the local language. And we know very well, throughout the world, I think there is document, uh, documented research about students, they learn language better when they are still young. But you find that they concentrate on, for example, here in the marketing area, it's Tswana, 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 Tswana. And then they expect students to understand because the way questions are uh, um, asked in English, students will not understand that if they don't learn that the basics at the at an early age, so English is put aside, and then they pick it later on at a, at a later level, which is very difficult. And I can, I feel sorry for students in Africa. They are not they are not dumb, 
but the system is failing them. They are putting emphasis on something else that does not help them. They write, when they write their matric uh, exams, it, oh, most of the subjects they are written in English. Okay. Only the, the only one subject they write it in their vernacular language. How do you expect them to understand? Okay, fair point. Uh, Babington and Mahikeng, but of course, you know, there are opposing views to that. Uh, but uh, let's speak to David and Net. Good morning. Hi, Sakina. Um, I, I've just uh, listening with interest to your discussion. I see um, so far there's been no mention of the, the parents' input, and I was privileged enough to serve on a governing body at a foundation phase school. And, and there it was, it was extremely obvious that um, those parents that had a, a, an active role in their children's um, upbringing prior to them being even involved in the in foundation phase, those children had a massive advantage over other children. And I think what's happening in our education system is that we've got a crisis of parenting long before we even get to the crisis in teaching. The crisis is with the parents. We need to educate the parents that once you have a child, it is a responsibility that is life, lifelong, and the parent remains the primary educator throughout the children's um, education. And, and we, we have a situation in this country, for example, we have 20,000 pregnant girls in school. Now, mm. you, you think of those children, what chances they've got where, they, where they, their actual parents are still um, immature and young. So I'd just like a comment on that. Um, I know that the teacher's life is, is made incredibly easier once you've got parental involvement because the children come prepared, they come keen, they, they learn, they, they know that they're there for a reason, they, they, uh, they, they've learned attentiveness, mm. they've had um, stories read to them, and, and they just, they're just they there to absorb what, what they're prepared for. Very like good to, point. Very good thank, point there, David. Thanks, thanks so much for pointing that out because parental involvement is critical. But uh, we'll come back to it just now. Let's just take a few more calls. Lucky in Durban, good morning. Hi, Sabino, how are you? Well, and you, Lucky. I'm okay. Uh, in fact, the last speaker, uh, I think he was reading my mind because my opening statement, I wanted to say that education is a three-legged court which should include parents, teachers, and their children. And you will know that uh, parents, teachers, and the children are drawn from the community. So the community as well should uh, play an active role in that regard. But I wanted to talk about these two points with regards to uh, competency of teachers. In his article sometime last year, Professor Jonathan Johnson said that the teachers who get the junior degree, for example, in maths, then do postgraduate certificates in education, tend to perform better than teachers who did teaching straight. I want your, your guests to comment around that. And lastly, if you look at the education system of Finland, getting into university to do teaching is very competitive mm. in such a way that not everyone gets to there. Mm. And in order for a teacher to be a teacher, the minimum requirement is a master's degree. And if uh, it's competitive to go into the university and the minimum requirement is a master's, it means that competency is, is not negotiable. So I think maybe South Africa <coughs> moving forward should consider doing that. Thank you so much. Um, part of the solution. All right. Appreciate it there. Uh, Lucky in Durban, who is, of course, himself a teacher. Uh, Marcellus in uh, Mitchell's Plain. Is it Marcellus? 
Hi, good day, Sakina, and to the listeners of SAFM Radio. Thank you very much for this opportunity. You're welcome. Um, just to listen at, uh, at, at everyone giving their points, you know, even at yourself, sharing us about what the sketch was from, from the university. You know, having to live in a, a place where gangsterism is so high and where illiteracy levels is also very high. And, you know, having to hear what you were saying, how teachers can't cope, you understand. It is so true, you understand. But also we need to look at the fact that many of our young parents of today, when you look at the, at the grade that you were speaking about, grade one to four, it, that very young people, parents, that very young parents whose children is in grade one to four, that some of them is also not educated and they can't be a supportive role to their kids. When the kids come home with homework or when the kids come home with their books, how do they support their kids? Because if they're not even literate themselves, how can they support the kids? So that the mm. pressure is so extremely high on teachers when they're in schools, you know. It's not that teachers can't cope, but I mean, it's too much for the teachers. Having to have 45 to 60 learners in a class, one or two learners keeping the average level high, the rest, you know, keeping it in the middle, and then there's a balance of maybe 30, 40% who's illiterate. It affects the teacher as a whole. So now we blame the teacher, but forgetting that the levels in the class is not all the same. Ooh, and I wanted to hear the rest of that. Okay, tell you what, um, let's just uh, run through some of what the listeners are raising here. Um, let's start with uh, the, the issue of parental involvement, because that's one that we usually overlook. And both Lucky and David spoke about that. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Gustafson, as a department, okay, we, we still don't have Dr. Gustafson. Okay, uh, Dr. Wilds is still with us. Dr. Wilds, are you there? Yes, I am. So maybe, um, you know, you can shed some light on this, the issue of parental involvement, because um, it is true that parents sometimes are just totally absent uh, from that tripod that Lucky was talking about. Absolutely, uh, Sakina. I think we cannot necessarily assume that parental involvement is even present, particularly in a context where we have such high levels of broken families and orphanhood in this country. Um, and the, the system, to many, in many respects, is having to fulfill far greater gaps than what you would find in other developing country contexts. Um, however, saying this, um, and certainly we find that family structure, and, and older research that's been done, family structure is found to be a very strong uh, determinant um, of educational outcomes. Even some more research, uh, recent research that one of our researchers conducted is that um, it appears that how regularly, for example, that parents check their children's homework appears to be quite strongly associated with better performance of children. Um, and, for example, how supportive parents are, particularly of children reading at home. Um, you know, I remember as a child, the importance of my mother reading with me, or, you know, many people have these stories. You know, is there support in the home for this type of thing? But saying that, though, one of our concerns is that, yes, even though we have these major socioeconomic problems, lack of parental involvement, lack of family background, um, even when we control for all those things and we hold those things all const constant, we still find that the quality of a school can make a difference, even in that in these challenging contexts. Mm. Um, and we really can't. We, we do need to. We, we do need to engage parents in 
nationally through, through wider campaigns, particularly around raising awareness about the importance of reading with your child. Um, and even, for example, with the um, distribution of these really fantastic workbooks across the country that, that 9 million children have access to now, there's material with which a parent can now engage. Um, and even if they don't necessarily understand it themselves, they can ask the child questions around what page of the book they're on, what it is that mm. they learned in, in those books. I think there's increasingly there are more tools to be able to support a parental child relationship. But saying that, even if there isn't parental involvement, I think we can still say that school quality and the quality of teaching in a classroom really does matter for what children learn. And uh, then, of course, we, I, I think there's consensus that parents need to be more involved. But on the other hand, um, as some of our uh, uh, callers were saying, uh, it came out in a uh, discussion earlier as well, um, Nasleen Richards comes back to this point that it's uh, a constant complaint of, uh, complaint of all teachers that the work goes too fast and the kids simply do not have time to process and understand it properly. But what happens there inevitably is that the teachers then pass their role on to the parents. Because from my understanding, homework is for enrichment purposes. And if you send my child home with work that you didn't deal with in class, I am effectively becoming the teacher. Yes, certainly. Um, I think this is a, this is a concern. Uh, but um, I think... The one issue really where we really need to see parental involvement more particularly is in the area of reading. I don't think that there really is an excuse there around not engaging with your child or complaining about engaging in their reading um, with them. And this is really the, the, the aspect of this particular project that we see as being critical to seeing improvement in, in education in South Africa. And how can we engage parents more in taking responsibility for um, really instructing their children and, and helping them along the process. But I think schools really need to provide Sakina. a structure for this to take place. Yes, sir, doc- yes Dr. Gustafsson, we'd lost you there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, in, in, in relation to your point around teachers coping and, and, and the speed of, mm. of, of, of the curriculum and so on, I mean, I think that something that, that in, in a way, teachers have a point because... Um, what researchers are increasingly realizing, not just in South Africa, is how extremely ambitious our curricula are. We, we set the standards very high. We want first world curricula. We want the best. And sometimes that does create an overload problem in, 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 in schools. I mean, I, I know there was a recent study that showed that in the, the Namibian uh, mathematics curriculum was even more demanding than the British one in an entirely different context. So I think we do need to look a little bit more at, 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 at perhaps the problem of covering too many things and not going into sufficient depth in specific uh, things and allowing different teachers to work at different speeds according to the, the context that they, 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 they work in. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll take the last caller and also just wrap it up. Not a morning person? Not a morning person? Sakina Kamwendo can change that. AM Live with Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. 
And on the Forum at 8 this morning, uh, we dissecting the uh, report uh, from uh, Stellenbosch University and also asking for your input as to what can be done uh, so that uh, we basically help our children improve in numeracy and literacy. And uh, SMSs, many years ago, there was uh, mental maths in uh, primary schools which taught learners basic skills for numeracy. Calculators were not allowed in the classroom. Uh, nutrition for brain growth is a major factor, says Anthony. Uh, someone says a video record live lessons by teachers, translate where necessary and put a TV in uh, the week classes and beam in the recorded teaching so that both kids and week teachers can learn. This one from Nkosipi in uh, Peter Maritzburg says, reading starts uh, with ensuring that learners from foundation phase learn in their mother tongue. Culture of reading in South Africa is unfortunately measured as uh, that helps learners to work on their own. Things like comprehension, poems, reading of a book every day like uh, Benny and Betty were always good part of the day uh, work in the classroom and I think the art, arts and culture department can play a role outside schools by introducing reading um, as a culture in the community and this one from Kathy and Port Shepston. Kathy says we prepare theme boxes for rural creches to help child minders with educational play. Can your guests please suggest a source for ideas uh, for activities that facilitate number concept forming? That's Kathy and Port Shepston. Okay, we don't have much time. Uh, Begin Toyando, good morning. Good morning, yes. Um, the, pro- the problem that I see is that the children are being taught things that are too much for them. You find a grade uh, two people is being taught about photo- photosynthesis and exoskeletons. And you find a grade seven being taught about quadratic equations and sim- uh, algebra. I mean, it's too much for these kids. No, thank you so much, uh, Beggy and Toyando. Um, uh, Solly says, you successfully avoided the union's role in uh, the education mess. That's a show on its own, and, and we haven't even touched on everything, uh, you know, the various uh, aspects, the facets that we need to unpack. But I think it's great that we started a good conversation here, and maybe we need to talk some more, many more messages coming in. Thank you. We'll actually put them up on the website, so you can go there and have a look at what people were saying on Twitter and Facebook as well. Okay. Basically, 30 seconds. I'm sorry to wrap it up. Um, uh, Dr. Gustafsson? Well, watch the Lead to Read program, which was launched by the minister last year. Um, We're hoping to get uh, good uh, things coming out of that program. Lead to Read. Lead to Read. uh, We will definitely do that. Uh, Dr. Wills? Um, yes, I think another issue is that we really need to get more African language resources and graders as well as developed. Um, it's not just about children not reading in English. Children are not currently reading in their home language. Um, and really there needs to be a, a drive for increased number of African language re- readers, readers and resources for children to actually engage with interesting text. And uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Rajput. Um uh, I'm sorry, the time is up. I have so much to say on many of these issues. So what I could um, advise the readers is to follow us on Twitter, especially Professor Elizabeth Henning, Albie Henning, who has the Saatchi chair on the Soweto campus, and myself, um, because there are many ideas that we can help parents with, as well um, as new ideas in terms of reading, in terms of vocabulary development, and also just quickly want to mention what one school here that we're doing research with in Johannesburg is doing. They're making video, little video video clips for parents on different issues that come up in the classroom, and they actually um, 
podcast or send this to um, um, a video message this to parents and also put it on the school's web- website. Mm. So that might be an idea. But there are many more things that we can discuss. Sounds like a great mm-hmm. idea. Thank you so much to all our guests this morning, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Wilds, uh, no, sorry, I'm mixing your names and surnames. Dr. Gabrielle Wilds, economist and researcher on socioeconomic policies, uh, worked on this report. And Dr. Martin Gustafsson, who's a researcher at the Department of Basic Education. And th- also thank you to Professor uh, Lara Rajput, researcher in the Saatchi Chair on Education at the University of Johannesburg Soweto campus and as always thanks to you the show wouldn't be what it is without you so appreciate you tuning in take care and we'll be back tomorrow